This past Monday, I was invited to pray at the annual Economic Outlook Luncheon at a conference center in downtown Evansville. A panel of presenters included the professor of business at the University of Evansville, the chief investment officer for American Century Investments that is located in California, Northern California, the Dean of the College of Business and Economics at the University of Southern Indiana, and the Director of the Indiana Business Research Center. Four gentlemen, four gentlemen who know their stuff when it comes to both the present economic landscape and the future economic outlook. I took careful notes on their slides. I took careful notes on their commentary. Two warnings were repeatedly mentioned by all four presenters. They all four asserted that as a nation, we must do two things. Number one, we must get control of our spending. And number two, we must reduce our debt. They could not have been more clear in saying we've got to stop our deficit spending and we've got to address our growing debt in this country. And it affirmed me as I sat there and listened. It affirmed my sense of God's leading one year ago as I prayed about the topics that we needed to address in 2012 related to biblical money management. Only God could have known where we would be today a year in advance. Our topics last week, control spending. Our topic today, resist debt. These things are necessary not only for our nation to thrive economically, but for our Crossroads families to thrive financially. And listen, even if America drives off a fiscal cliff, you and I, we don't have to. But spending and debt are actually not new problems. In fact, I wonder if you can guess who said this and when it was said. The budget should be balanced. The treasury should be filled. Public debt should be reduced. I like this one. The arrogance of the officialdom should be tempered and controlled. It's talking about elected officials there. And assistance to foreign lands should be curtailed lest we become bankrupt. People must again learn to work instead of living on public assistance. <laughs> you know who said that? Cicero in Rome, 55 B.C. Well, some things never change. And today we're addressing the subject of debt from the Word of God. But I want you to notice the topic for today. It is resist debt, which is not to say never go into debt, but rather avoid debt as long as you can or avoid debt as soon as you can. The fact is we become a credit-based society, and that's not entirely a bad thing. After World War II, loans were made available to returning soldiers to make it easier for them to purchase homes. And the resulting housing boom was so impressive that FHA, Federal Housing Authority, loans were created to help first-time home buyers. And without these kinds of loans, most people in America would be renters. They would not own their homes. 
So I wouldn't want to suggest that debt is an entirely bad thing, and neither would I suggest that owning a credit card is necessarily a bad thing. Some credit cards actually offer to return a small percentage of your money back on your purchases at the end of the year. Others provide discounts on purchases of up to 5%. Still others award credits toward the purchase of a car. Personally, we keep a Visa card to earn flight credits and to trace our spending patterns for tax purposes, but we pay the balance in full each month. I guess you heard about the man who called police to report that all his wife's credit cards had been stolen. But then he changed his mind in mid-sentence. He said, wait a minute, officer, just, just cancel that report. I just noticed that the thief has been charging less than my wife does. <laughs> so have you seen this dashboard? on how the national debt is accelerating. As the numbers spin, our heads spin, don't they? And that's the national debt. The individual debt numbers are just as alarming. Do you know that the Federal Reserve is presently funding $2.4 trillion of unsecured debt in the populace? That amounts to about $7,800 per person. Now you do the math in your family. If you've got four children, you and your wife, that's six people times 7,800. Even in our household with only two people, that amounts to what? Over 15,000. Young adults ages 22 to 34 carry over 25% of the nation's credit card debt. In addition, the average college graduate now graduates with about $20,000 $20,000 in student loan debt. And this same age group, 22 to 34, leads all others in declared bankruptcies. The Consumer Federation of America estimates that 2 million American households carry credit card balances of more than $20,000. And this is up from $7,000 just back in 2003. But I'm convinced that Jesus wants to be Lord of every area of our lives, and finances are a part of that. Unnecessary debt is bondage, and many people are drowning in it with high mortgages, high car payments, high interest on their credit cards. And the fact is, when we become slaves to money, Jesus is pushed out of the picture. He cannot be Lord. And if we really want Jesus to be Lord of all we are, then he has to be Lord of all we have. My observation has been that this is the last area that some Christians entrust to his lordship. They may be strong believers. They may faithfully worship. They may read God's word and pray daily. They may serve in the church, but they look the other way when it comes to the stewardship of their money. They're not comfortable with that subject. They're not in alignment with God's best, and they know it. But they either willfully ignore or they casually neglect their spiritual growth in this area of their lives. People don't change until they know enough that they want to or until they've heard enough that they have to. 
So let me answer a handful of questions that might help us in our understanding today. And this morning in this teaching, I want to be very biblical, but also be very practical. First question I want to answer is, what does the Bible teach about debt anyhow? There are differing opinions among believers. Some say that all debt is wrong. For others, debt has become a way of life. So what is there in God's Word that can settle this question for us? And I think we can do that this morning in seven simple statements. Four of them have to do with what the Bible does not teach about debt, and three of them have to do with what the Bible does teach about debt. So let's go through them. First of all, the Bible does not teach that it is a sin to borrow. doesn't teach that. Now, some sins like greed or covetousness or worldliness are sometimes related, sometimes connected, but borrowing itself is not a sin. Well, neither does the Bible teach that it is wise to borrow. The Bible does not teach it's wise to borrow. There's no command in Scripture for us to go into debt. There's no commendation. There's no endorsement for borrowing in God's Word. Thirdly, the Bible does not teach that God will bail you out of excessive debt. Now, if you have spent carelessly, if you have misused credit, if you have forgotten Him, and then you pray in desperation for a financial miracle... Don't count on it. Now, I'm not saying he won't provide. I'm just saying his name is not on the line here. Number four, the Bible does not teach that going into debt is an exercise of faith. Sometimes you hear that. In fact, incurring debt is often evidence of a lack of patient faith. And faith, listen, faith is not getting out on the end of a limb and then sawing it half in two behind you. That's not faith. Well, what does the Bible teach then? That's what the Bible does not teach. What does the Bible teach? The Bible does teach that all our debts must be repaid. Psalm 37, verse 21, the wicked borrow and do not repay. So if we incur a debt, simply put, we're obligated to pay it back. And the question of bankruptcy comes in here, and this is a place, I think, where the legal and the biblical may part company. You see, our legal system allows individuals and businesses to have protection from creditors through certain bankruptcy laws. And sometimes these are helpful. Some of these laws allow time. They allow circumstances for repayment. But a Christ follower must not permanently walk away, refusing to pay a debt that is owed. We've got to maintain our integrity. We've got to keep our promises. When we say yes, it needs to mean yes. When we say no, it needs to mean no. Sixth, the Bible does teach that co-signing is not a good idea. Co-signing is foolish. Look at Proverbs eleven fifteen. He who puts up security for another will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. Now, while the Scripture does not forbid it, it does say that co-signing is not a wise thing to do for many reasons unless you're fully prepared to pay the debt as though it were your own. Then number seven, the Bible teaches that debt presumes on the future. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go 
to this or that city. We'll spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So when we borrow or when we think about borrowing, we need to carefully evaluate whether we're presuming that we'll be able to repay when in fact we may not know how our circumstances could change. Those seven statements sum up what the Bible does not teach and what the Bible teaches about debt. Let's move to another question. Well, why do people go into debt, get into excessive debt anyhow? Well, sometimes debt is based on circumstances that are beyond our control. A husband or a wife is left with a financial disaster after the death of a spouse or perhaps a divorce. Sometimes health issues lead to surgery, hospital bills, and expensive prescription drugs. A natural disaster can wipe people out financially. The loss of a job because of downsizing or business failure can result in a big debt load. But sadly, most people who are debt-driven have not been victimized by circumstances. More often, it's because of careless behavior or bad judgment. And these folks typically are not all that interested in what the Bible teaches about the subject. In most cases, their reason for getting deep into debt is a spiritual problem. Now, let me rehearse the four most common reasons that people get into excessive debt, and I think you'll see. The first is a lack of self-control. New electronic device comes out. We've got to have that. We see a deal on a classic car. And we get the fever. And we see a hot tub on Craig's list, and we decide we need to buy it right now. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. This lack of self-control, when it comes to buying, can open you up to excessive debt. It says that it opens you up to destruction like a city without defenses if you lack self-control. If you're going to make decisions you will regret, you better not do it. And don't make a decision to go into debt unless you're thoughtful, taking the long view of things. Don't be impulsive when it comes to this area of signing your name. Secondly, I think a lack of contentment is sometimes a problem. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul testifies that as Christians, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, that is a distinctly Christian position. Now, we've got to have food and clothing. Those are necessities. If you don't eat, you're going to starve to death, and that'll be the end of you. And you've got to wear clothes because if you don't, you're going to be locked up somewhere and never heard from again. We frown on that sort of thing. Food and clothing, these are necessities. Somebody says, well, 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 what about an automobile? Well, you, you could hitch a ride. You could go with public transportation temporarily. Somebody said, well, i got to have a shelter. What about a roof over my head? <laughs> There's always the in-laws. There's always uh, some place where you can hang your hat. But, you see, our problem is not usually the necessities, it's because we tend to want more than we have. We want newer. We want bigger. We want 
better. And every day, people go into needless debt to replace things that are perfectly fine, routinely redecorating, recarpeting, refurbishing, refurnishing. We just need to be more thoughtful and conservative. And even if we can afford to buy something without debt, if we spend our money that way, then it's going to mean that there are other causes and there are other activities that we're not going to be able to afford to underwrite or we're not going to be disposed to underwrite. And if we do things on the basis of discontentment, every time we massage that nerve, it's going to mean that we're more ruled by our discontentment than by contentment. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Third reason people get into excessive debt is a search for significance. It's just true. In our society, what you own defines your significance. But our identity is not in what we own. It is in who we are. We're the children of God, and we look to Him for acceptance. We look to Him for validation, not our neighbors. And really, who cares what you drive anyway? The stranger who pulls up to you next to the stoplight and rolls down his window and says, Hey, nice ride. Is it really worth it? A girl you're trying to impress, if she'd be impressed by the car you drive, beware. You really think this is what impresses people and makes them admire you? It's not. And the people who count most don't care whether you wear name brand clothes or not. They don't care whether you have three bathrooms or not. They don't care whether you have a country club membership or not. These are not the things that give your life significance. You're searching for significance in the wrong places if you think it has a price tag on it. Well, fourthly, I think a search for security can sometimes drive people into debt. We all desire security, don't we? That's why we have health insurance and life insurance and car insurance and home insurance. It's why we make a major purchase and we buy the extended warranty and we buy security systems for our homes and extra outdoor lighting. We go out of our way to make sure that our lives are free of worry. But all that we spend to protect ourselves can't always keep trouble from coming. It may improve the odds, but there's no guarantee. Our greatest and deepest security comes from being in a right relationship with God. Proverbs 11:28 says, "Whoever trusts in riches will fall." Then it says, "Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life." Well, so much for the reasons why people get in debt. What are the consequences of debt anyhow? Well, I have a vivid memory of an unpleasant experience with debt in Joplin. We wanted a different house with a good yard off of a busy street. We had toddlers at that time. I was under 30 years old, and we wanted our kids to have a place to play. And we had a contract on our house. So we went ahead and made an offer on another home 
And I knew this home was going to stretch us a little bit, but I had reasoned, hey, this home was built by the Duke brothers, and it has a fenced backyard, and it has an in-ground pool. This is going to be great. Well, our contract for sale fell through. Then the closing date arrived for the purchase of the new home. And since we didn't have the equity from the sale of our first home, we had to arrange a bridge loan with a private real estate investor so we could go, go ahead and assume the loan on our second home. So now we have the equivalent of three house payments. And instead of one-third of my salary being used for housing, I was spending almost 100%. Never have I prayed for deliverance like I prayed then. And we met, went almost four months, and we were three days away from financial Armageddon when we finally found a buyer and closed on the first home, and then I took the equity from the sale of the first home, and I paid off the investor, and we were back to having one house and one house payment again. So, I don't really have a book, chapter, and verse for you here, but I do have some lessons learned in the School of Hard Knocks and years of observation. Listen, there are four kinds of stress that come with being financially underwater. And the first stress is physical stress, loss of appetite, sleepless nights. Debt creates stress on the body that is unhealthy. Anxiety is not fun physically. It does weird things to your digestive system, and it brings on pounding headaches. There is physical stress that is associated with debt. There's also emotional stress. You're on edge. You tend to be volatile, a little bit unpredictable. Bouts of sadness give give way to anger. Anger gives way to depression. Depression gives way to feelings of hopelessness. When the stock market crashed in October of 1929, the resulting emotional despair prompted a rash of suicides. So you've got stockbrokers and businessmen on Wall Street bailing out of high-rise windows driven by emotional stress. Thirdly, there's marital stress. Arguments and accusations, lying and hiding, secrets and shouting. goes on behind closed doors in many homes because of the pressure of debt. Listen, number one reason why people split up, money. And God's people should not live this way. Speaking of which, there is this fourth kind of stress. That's spiritual stress. It's really hard to draw near to God when you know your priorities have not been in line with His will, His best, when you've ignored the clear warnings of Scripture, when you've got anxiety in your heart, when you've blown up at the wife and you've kicked the dog, you don't feel like drawing near to the Lord. And being enslaved to debt crowds out our trust crowds out our patience, crowds out our peace and our joy in the Lord. 
Okay, so how do we get out of debt anyhow? And here I think we have to wed, once again, biblical principles and common sense. Assuming you're ready to commit to the theme of this message, resisting debt, here we go. Number one, first thing you've got to do, stop borrowing. Stop borrowing. If your basement is flooding, the best strategy is not to grab a bucket and start bailing. First thing you should do is shut off the water, fix the leak. And once it's fixed, then you can begin to clean up the mess. And so there may be someone here today who needs some plastic surgery in the form of cutting up credit cards. You know, 10% of people in America have 10 or more credit cards. That's just too many. That's just going to make your wallet too fat. You're going to sit on it. It's going to throw your back out. It's not a good idea. Stop borrowing. Remember this, Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is slave to the lender. And you might need to get some help here. We have it in the form of a refuge group on Monday night on financial management. There might be that you could use the counsel of a good financial manager in your circle of Christian friends. But you've got to start here. Stop borrowing. Number two, start paying God and yourself first. I'm talking here about the biblical principle of tithing and saving. Now, the tithe is the first tenth of your income sources, and it's an indicator that you have your priorities in order. It's an indicator that you want to partner with the Lord, that you're going to exercise trust. You're going to exercise your faith in this area. And for some, it may be more of an act of faith than it is for others, but regardless, it is something that has to be experienced for you to know that it works. Standing in the back before this 10 o'clock service, I was visiting with Shannon, who sang, Take My Life and Let It Be, right before the message. And she was telling me about her days as a single mother and how her faithfulness in tithing blessed her life, blessed her family. She had probably every excuse to not do it. She didn't compromise in that area. In fact, God in His Word invites us to put Him to the test in this area. You're familiar with the text, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse then was the temple. I believe that equates to the church in the New Testament. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord. Test me in this. And I know I'm talking to someone this morning who's never exercised his or her faith in this way, and you've struggled financially. Could it be? Could it be that you're missing the partnership of the Lord of life? I wish I had time to give you one illustration after another about how God supernaturally works in the life of a person who honors these priorities. Here's a practical suggestion. Remember these numbers, 10, 10, 10, 70. If you divide your income sources up this way, 10% to God, 10% to savings, 10% to pay down debt, or if you don't have debt, as offerings, and 70% to live on. Now, I want to hasten to say this is partially biblical and it is partially common sense. It is partially practical. But I think if you could get to this formula, 10, 10, 10, 70, with respect to your finances, you 
will prosper. And I guarantee you, this ideal, if you embrace it, if you begin to practice it in your life, you're going to begin to see things fall into place in your financial world like never before. Thirdly, start adjusting your lifestyle. After you've stopped borrowing, after you have committed to pay God and yourself first, then start adjusting your lifestyle. Don't eat out as much. Do you realize even a daily cup of coffee can cost over $500 a year? And if you go to Starbucks, you can just triple that amount. <laughs> Second thing you could do, turn down the heat, put on a sweater. We've done this. We're not suffering. We're not uncomfortable. And we believe that we are saving significantly on utilities Maybe you could have a sale. Get rid of some of your stuff. That's why God created eBay. <laughs> it may even be something like downsizing your house or trading a car. You could rent temporarily. You could use the equity in your home to pay off high-interest debts. No big deal here. Just think of it as an adventure that will improve your quality of life in terms of the elimination of financial pressure. You could drop your cable or your high-speed Internet. That would save you up to $1,000 a year. You could break a bad habit. You could save money and improve your health at the same time. Two packs of cigarettes a day will save you probably over $3,000 a year. And then shop wisely. Our older daughter plays what's called the grocery game. I don't know whether you're familiar with this. I had never heard of it before. The grocery game saves their family a few hundred dollars every month. I could, I could go on here with practical suggestions, but you get the idea. If you do these three basic things, stop borrowing, start paying God and yourself first, adjust your lifestyle, I promise you, you'll be able to aggressively pay down your debts. Start with the smaller ones first. When you knock them out, you'll see what kind of progress you're making. It'll encourage you. You might need to make arrangements with your larger creditors to postpone or to regularly pay more affordable amounts. This is the teaching of the Word of God. And friends, all this reminds me that I want to introduce you to someone this morning who has been practicing what I have been preaching these last two weekends. Control spending, resist debt. I want, to, I want to introduce you to someone who has controlled spending and reduced debt. It's you. It's you, Crossroads Christian Church. We have consistently underspent our budget several years in a row. We have eliminated all of our indebtedness seven years ahead of schedule. It was supposed to be 2018. It was done in December of 2011. And as a result, we've been able to do some amazing things in local outreach and in missions. We have launched Community One, our housing initiative for the under-resourced in our community. We are reaching unreached people groups our church is completely underwriting six new church planting evangelist families in northern India, and they are having tremendous results. We have acquired property on the west side, on St. Joseph Avenue, to begin doing our discipling ministry on the west side. 
we have acquired the use of the Elite Fitness Center on Lloyd Expressway, and that will become the Crossroads Worship Arts Academy. And you saw the steel as you drove off of Epworth Road down the driveway. You saw the steel as we create eight new children's classrooms, which will ultimately become expanded seating, much-needed expanded seating in our student theater. And we are doing all these things debt-free. A year ago, they were only a dream. A year later, they are reality. Be Well, we've talked about resisting debt, managing debt. But folks, listen, there is one debt. There is one debt that we are powerless to manage. There's one debt that we could not pay. It was on the scripture verse at communion time. It is the sin debt. But praise God. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus paid it all, all to him, I owe. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, whether you know it or not, whether you will admit it or not, you are in a hole. You are in a hole. You are under the bondage of a debt that you cannot pay. But he paid it all. And all you need to do is reach up and take that nail-pierced hand and a new life will open up for you.